1: Good afternoon and welcome to this Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was with long term care homes the hardest hit, even in the second wave of COVID 19. It remains unclear what, if any, of the $1.5 billion promised by the Trudeau liberals for long term care will arrive in the provinces and then actually be used to improve poor conditions in nursing homes. Libby recently interviewed the federal seniors minister, Deb Schult, who gave the usual spiel about provincial jurisdiction for the funds and that they might set up another committee of experts to figure it out. Our Zoomer squad discussed the vague funding promise this past Monday. Libby was joined by Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP.
2: The devil's in the details always, but I'm, I'm also suspicious of their making money available. That's a wonderful phrase. There are many other programs we've seen over the years where money has been made available and never spent, never allocated. It's sort of a an optical thing, until the check is in the mail, all kinds of things can happen. And this sounds suspiciously like one of those optical things that we'll we'll get around to implementing it once a number of committees have weighed in and we've papered it over with enough obfuscation uh, to give ourselves lots of escape hatches.
3: Bill, what do you make of it?
4: Yeah, I agree with uh, David. The devil is in the details. Uh, For instance, they gave us... uh, reports of money going to the provinces for PPE uh, for long-term care staff, yet you and I are both getting uh, calls and messages and talking with people who are are working on the front line who say they don't have enough PPE, that their limit is, for instance, the one n 95 mask a day uh, and not more than that. And, of course, that's uh, inappropriate and, and not enough. The money and the and the goods with the money are not getting to where we really want them to be,
3: Peter. It sounds reasonable that the money is earmarked for certain kinds of projects, but uh, it it doesn't come with a national standard for those things. Do you buy the argument? They don't want to fight with the provinces. Like even with what they've said, Premier Legault of Quebec, for instance, was not happy.
4: Yeah, it, it seemed it seems odd that um provincial governments aren't happy to receive money you know that comes from I, you know I, you would assume at this time when when uh you know there's such an outflow of money any any incoming money would be welcome you know and 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 they make you know they they sort of uh set up a quick strategy on on how to accept the money and and what sort of uh you know what sort of earmarks are and everything and and i i just don't buy it that uh You know, you know, people are seeing it as federal intrusion. It's money that is is much needed at the uh, long term care level, and uh, I I would just take it. You know,
3: (laughs) well, yeah. And and
4: what could be so difficult about standards of care, minimum standards that? that our loved ones should have when they're when they're in long-term uh, care even if they set a minimum level at this point and raise them uh, later it sounds more like political infighting than real care about how those folks in long-term care are being looked after
3: even premier ford has weighed in saying you know stay in your lane federal government
4: well let's remember one of the issues with the provinces is they don't have Many of them standards of care themselves. There, there isn't a a basic standards of care in Ontario or in many of the other uh, provinces, and maybe that's what they don't want to uh, bring light on the fact that they don't have their own standards that they're enforcing to begin with.
2: Hmm. That's for sure. That's and and when they do enforce.
4: Uh, regulations in response to
2: COVID, and I I say this sympathetically to the government, recognizing that this is an unusual crisis that calls for different perhaps rules and regulations, uh, you know, than would apply normally, those change all the time. I mean, some of the uh, comments we've received on our fire bulletin petition have been about people inside nursing homes and with parents or loved ones in nursing homes where the the, the, the regulations change so many times, uh, you can do this, you can't do this, you can start doing this, you can maybe do this, that it, it created all very serious emotional uh, wear and tear on the uh, both the residents and the families, not surprisingly. So the, they, they really don't have uh, any clarity on this that I can see.
1: David Kravit, Vice President at Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. And Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Monday, members of the Trudeau Liberals Vaccine Task Force held a rehearsal to simulate the logistics of distributing the COVID-19 vaccine across Canada. It's a very complicated process, especially with the Pfizer vaccine, which has to be kept at below minus 70 Celsius. It will be delivered starting on Monday in huge refrigerated trucks, and then becomes the responsibility of the provincial governments. Here in Toronto, public health is expected to take over from there. It became clear during this past week that long-term care residents will not receive the Pfizer vaccine in the nursing homes because of its low temperature requirement and transportation requirement. And despite nursing home residents being identified as the priority group for receiving the vaccine, not a single member of Ontario's COVID-19 vaccine distribution panel works in the long-term care sector. Libby spoke about these important issues on Monday ahead of Health Canada's approval of the Pfizer vaccine with vaccine distribution and ethics expert Dr. Carrie Bowman and palliative care physician Dr. Amit Arya.
5: We have a CEO of an auto parts company, a CEO of a tech company, and the police chief, but we don't have the people that actually uh, have all the experience with rolling out vaccines, public health, and the people who are actually get, you know, who actually give the vaccines in long-term care homes, long-term care, family physicians, nurse practitioners, and nurses. I mean, the people who are giving the shots should also be calling the shots.
3: Dr. Kerry Bowman, is it wrong of me to be so worried to have public Toronto Public Health involved in anything? I know they're looking for large locations where people can go to get vaccinated. But, uh, you know, that certainly doesn't answer the question, I'm assuming, with long-term care, the vaccines will have to go to the homes.
6: Yeah. No, it's not wrong at all, Libby. And, you know, what we've seen so profoundly in in this entire pandemic, you know, first wave and second wave is the incredible neglect of long-term care um, and the price that has been paid. So I actually agree with your comments. There really needs to be expertise in long-term care on that panel. And the question, you know, with such limited doses arriving, and we're now hearing next week, as you announced, you know, they really need to be heading for long-term care facilities. Uh, it would seem to me that's the highest vulnerability. So how is that going to happen? And um, I think that's a very apt question.
3: Dr. Arya, is, is there any, I mean, I'm wondering how these, uh, very high-tech, refrigerated, huge trucks that I've seen pictures of. Uh, you know, how does that translate into a small number of doses for each home? That's number one. And also, is there any actual issue with getting a vaccine into a, a resident who has, you know, presumably multiple challenges and dementia and, and w- what not?
5: Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, it just speaks to how this is, you know, a very big logistical challenge where, you know, there's a lot, there's lots of different pieces that have to be put together for this to work well. I mean, shipping and storage constraints. You brought up the issues around the Pfizer vaccine, which needs to be at minus 70 uh, degrees Celsius from what I'm aware of. And long-term care homes don't have those freezers where, I mean, they can store these vaccines. Um, so but from what I'm hearing in some places in the U.S., uh, I mean, I'm not a vaccination expert. I'm not an infectious diseases doctor or someone who specializes in vaccinations. But what I'm hearing is that, it, you know, perhaps would need to be kept on dry ice for a very short period and then be, you know, brought to a, an individual nursing home for vaccination. And then, of course, they would need to be a booster shot uh, 21 days later. Um, specifically to your conversation about challenges uh, of vaccinating uh, residents, I mean, that's very tricky and I think those conversations uh, need to happen now they need to involve um, not just residents but also their substitute decision makers because many of these residents uh, have dementia 70% actually in our long-term care homes and they may not be able to uh, consent to receiving the vaccine so there needs to be a harms versus risk discussion with uh, whoever's making decisions for them usually a family caregiver.
6: The conversation over the last few weeks, I'm going to be honest, I have found very disturbing ethically, and it's shifted a lot. And what I mean by the conversation is when people in power, including our prime minister, say, you know, look, it's the finish line that matters. You know, what's a few months? That's not a direct quote, what's a few months? But certainly some people in authority have said, what's a few weeks, what's a few months? I would say from, you know, a a benefit-harm ratio, it's a lot. If you look at long-term care facilities which still continue to have, you know, significant morbidity and mortality.
3: Um, you know, we're talking about people's lives. Uh, it remains to be seen, you know, of, uh, will they send really sick people from long-term care to hospitals? They didn't do that last time.
6: No, no, they really didn't. They really didn't. But I would say, you know, I've I spent a lot of time working in hospitals in, in, in my professional life, and this incredible prejudice between chronic and acute, and I know those are medical terms, but, you know, you see it within the entire healthcare system. You see it in medical education, where as soon as people hear the word chronic, meaning, you know, we all know what chronic means, um, you know, the negativity begins. And that ties very in with ageism in a very profound way.
1: Vaccine distribution and ethics expert, Dr. Carrie Bowman, and palliative care physician, Dr. Amit Arya. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, more on the vaccine rollout in Ontario and how long-term care residents will initially be left to wait.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zuma Radio.
1: Welcome back. The head of Ontario's COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force says long-term care residents are a first priority to get the shot. But retired General Rick Hillier has also cautioned they won't be the first to get the Pfizer vaccine when it arrives Monday because of the strict requirements needed to keep it effective it cannot be transported and needs to be kept at below -70 celsius instead the first shots will go to ltc workers who will go to the sites where the vaccine will be kept where does this leave nursing homes and what has already become a deadly second wave of covid-19 Libby Snymer asked this of Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, and Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario.
7: On the one hand, we, we have hope. Uh, we have relief that the vaccine is coming, uh, and we have clarity that, indeed, our long-term care home residents, staff, and essential visitors are going to be prioritized. It, it, you know, we're we're disappointed in that uh, we're not going to be able to see the vaccine, this this vaccine at this moment deployed to the home. Uh, based on our calculations in Ontario, just to, to cover our resident staff and essential visitors, that's 624,000 doses just for long-term care alone. And we know that uh, what we're looking for in the coming weeks uh, to start is 49,000 for, for all of Ontario. So it's you know we're we're interested in working with the government to to understand uh, how they're going to do the prioritization, uh, who's what zones are going to be uh, prioritized first, and what this rollout is actually going to look like. Uh, it it is it's going to be very
3: complicated. It seems to be a logistic problem because the first vaccine is the Pfizer vaccine. The government says it's awaiting final confirmation from the company. But the issue is, in addition to the refrigeration, whether it will remain stable if it's moved from the place where it's delivered. And, you know, they started vaccinating today in the UK, and they're not taking it, I, I don't think. They said The same thing. They said long-term care is our biggest priority, but it doesn't look like they're taking it to long-term care. They're only bringing people to the vaccine.
8: Yeah, that's what we're hearing, Libby, and it's certainly very disappointing. And I think that the reason for the announcement being somewhat um, contradictory is that I I do believe the government does want to be able to vaccine long-term care residents first and foremost. And they probably can't, uh, given the uh, limitations of this particular vaccine. So, as a result, they are going to start with everyone surrounding those in long-term care to try and minimize the number of people um, who can come in the home, uh,
3: you know, with with the virus. Is it proven that most of it was brought in by workers?
8: Well, I mean, the vac- the the virus gets in the home through outside outside people that don't live there, or it could get in the home if someone in long-term care um, is admitted to hospital or, or goes out for other reasons. So, it certainly isn't foolproof. The ideal thing would be to target those who are at the most risk and the most vulnerable themselves, and that would also be less people um, than all of the ones who they would have contact with. But as the next best uh, thing to do would indeed be to inoculate the workers who work with them. And also they've said that the essential caregivers will also be on the priority list, which is really important and really good to see. So I think that that is the best choice at this point in time. But we also have to make sure that people don't let their guard down and think, oh, well, you know, so a few people have been vaccinated. So now we can just, you know, don't, we don't have to worry about it until everyone in the home is inoculated particularly every resident we can't let up our guard.
3: Donna are you doing in your homes anything anything different and and special to um, you know to take account of this?
7: Well we're, we're trying to ensure vigilance and surveillance and making sure that everyone's complying with the rules uh, but we're also uh, working to see how do we make sure that our that our families uh, can celebrate the holidays. So how do how do we still uh, not lose the, the spirit of the holiday uh, and while at the same time uh, protecting everyone? But we all have to follow the rules if we're going to keep our seniors safe.
1: Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, and Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Mayor John Tory has been in the public eye almost every day since the pandemic began back in March. He said many times he's a guy who only needs about five hours of sleep each night, which comes in handy when the workday begins at 6 a.m. and ends at nearly midnight. From time to time, Fight Back checks in with Toronto's mayor. Libby asked John Tory on Tuesday if he too has COVID fatigue.
9: I'm obviously, you know, frustrated and disappointed like everybody else. This isn't over, but you have to take each day as it comes and just understand you're trying to do your best. And I think everybody else out there is, too. And, uh, you know, so I can't say it's all great and uh, life is wonderful. But, uh, you know, I I think we're heading in the right direction with the vaccination, uh, you know, soon to start and all that kind of thing.
3: There are also a lot of people who are pushing back against you. You have some PSAs, have a lot of people breaking the rules or saying, hey, I'm not going to let that guy tell me how to celebrate Christmas. How are you dealing with all of that?
9: Well, uh, you know, it's funny because I don't hear it from too many of those people. I get uh, 500 emails a day during the pandemic. And I think most people understand uh, the vast majority of people understand that whatever I do, first of all, is based on the expert advice of our medical officer of health and, and other uh, members of her team. Uh, secondly, that it is in the best interest of the city in terms of trying to keep people healthy and prevent deaths and so on. So I think the number of people who have that attitude that say that I'm trying to tell them what to do at Christmas time. I'm I'm not trying to tell them to do anything. I'm giving them the best advice we can give. The advice really comes from the medical officer of health, and I'm just supporting her. Um, The premier has taken the same kinds of decisions based on medical advice, and I would just say to people out there that are listening, we're doing our very best. Um, and I think our best, while it hasn't been perfect uh, by any means, because um, we're human beings, I think our best has put us in a reasonably good place relative to many other places in the world uh, where uh, people stand up and say, we're not going to tell anybody or ask anybody or suggest anybody should do anything. And they have rates of death and rates of illness and problems with their healthcare system far in excess of what we have here. So. I, you know, I, I just have to take it as it comes. That's part of what goes with having a, a you know, a public responsibility like this is you have to make decisions and some people don't like them. And, I, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm doing my best.
3: The vaccine rollout. So yep. in terms of the levels of authority, federal government orders it, the the provincial government uh, deploys it, and then public health uh, carries it out during the flu vaccine rollout i had i talked to tons of doctors and i had a lot of complaints from doctors, uh, because public health uh, still runs on fax machines, and this is a very—I mean, there, there were problems because of that, and and I had doctors saying, you know, there's uh, fax things, and and then they can't get through on the telephone. So my concern is this: I, I certainly don't doubt that the public health people are are very qualified and smart, but they're dealing with this old technology, and uh, here you are with these incredibly high-tech vaccines.
9: Well, I will tell you that the system for registration and keeping track of who's had what inoculation, who's registered, who gets the first one and the second one, is all a provincial system, and it's not faxes. Uh, It is a very advanced system, but it's provincial, and we're all mandated to use the provincial system so they can keep track on a province-wide basis of everybody who needs to have the vaccination, who qualifies in the groups, because they're starting, of course, with the long-term care and long-term care workers and then going to health workers and so on. That will all be done on a very sophisticated provincial system. I can tell you I've been now, you know, in charge with the medical officer of health and the fire chief of the pandemic for nine months and I have yet to see my first facts. So. I think, yes, I'm sure that's been the case in the past, but I think now we've moved to a much greater level of sophistication and people can count on the fact that we're using technology in every possible way uh, to manage this. And in the case of the vaccines, the principal information will be managed via a provincial system that is in place province-wide and that is hardly fax. It's a very sophisticated program.
3: Mayor John Tory, uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, if I don't talk to you before, then uh, Merry Christmas.
9: I hope you have a happy holiday, too, and all the listeners, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're going to try and make the Christmas and the New Year a little brighter for people. We just have to keep the faith and stay home and follow the public health advice. Notwithstanding, people think they're being told what to do. They're just being asked to go along because, in many cases, we can't order people to stay home. We just have to sort of ask for their cooperation, and it's uh, with a view to achieving brighter days ahead and this, putting this pandemic behind us and getting back to a normal life. That's the ultimate objective.
1: Toronto Mayor John Tory in conversation with Libby Zneimer on Tuesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come: what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Marnie in Fenland Falls phoned about the nursing shortage from a first-hand point of view. I'm a nurse, I've worked in
7: every area, and right now I am in long-term care. And what they put forth the other day for having home care and uh, keeping people at home to alleviate the um, burden on the hospital, theoretically, it's a really good idea. But in practice, it can't work because we have such an extreme shortage of RNs, and we can't even and PSWs and RPNs we can't even staff our long-term care homes so how are they expecting to staff a home care program
0: And now fight backs knockout call of the week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Carol in Kingston, who was livid after finding out from the financial accountability officer the Ford PCs were sitting on $12 billion in reserve funds for the pandemic. From my
7: perspective, when the government sends, the federal government sends money to Ontario in the middle of a pandemic that's for something specific... I don't think Ford should be putting it in his pocket for the next rainy day. He had all this time to get ready and do the thing for the long-term care. And he said way back then, whatever it takes. So I guess it took nothing, and that's why he did nothing.
1: That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca follow us on twitter at Libby and have your say anytime on our fightback voicemail at 416-367-9636 416-367-9636 i'm jane brown join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fightback
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadid, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.